Hello again, everybody. <clears throat> this is uh, Jason Bowers. I'm gonna. This will be a kind of a. We'll see what kind of a broadcast I got today. I haven't really put a lot of thought into it. Um, I mean, there's just so much going on right now. Um, what's good or what about? I guess you could say from a news standpoint, there's plenty going on, so there's plenty to talk about. The bad news is that doesn't bode well for the future for most of us in the world um the news is being you know obviously manipulated distorted focuses on the wrong things to deflect away and distract us from greater concerns that are obviously coming down the pike and people are ignoring these things because a lot of people are unaware of these things or certainly don't have a a firm grasp of what those things are. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on central banks and how they operate, but I can tell you that they don't operate to your benefit. <clears throat> and there's a story, or a, not a story, but a little write-up here. I'm going to start with that first, and then we'll go from there. Um, we'll let the music play out here for a second. I'll be back in about a minute. So, of course, uh, the, we'll, just, we'll just start with this article. It's called The Failure of Central Banking. And there's historical precedent here. Many of the institutions that we're so used to or accustomed to started or at least were, let's just say, evolved in the middle to late Middle Ages. So roughly anywhere between probably around uh, 1100 A.D. to about uh, 1450 uh, 1500 AD. I'm not going to use the the convention that they use today. I know lots of uh, historians like to use C or some other abbreviation. It's AD, Anno Dominium or Dominica, uh, in the year of our Lord. Um, and don't knock me on my Latin. I suck. So anyway, <clears throat> this starts off with a quote. So I'll read the quote because I think the quote is probably the money shot here. The view was generally held that the centralization of banking would inevitably result in one of two alternatives, either complete government control, which meant politics and banking, or control by Wall Street, which meant banking and politics. This is Paul Warburg. He wrote this in 1930. And uh, apropos, uh, the idea of uh, a fascistic control of uh, situations and the government, uh, complete government, so totalitarian control at the top from a centralization or communistic standpoint, central planning, or uh, control by a bunch of uh, people on Wall Street, which is more of a fascism control, controlled by private corporations who um, do their bidding through the government to, to of course, uh, uh, push their ideology and push their uh, their top down control uh, from that direction too. So, and just I'll read the first a couple paragraphs here, and then we'll go uh, down to the bottom. The idea of central banking was born in the Middle Ages when failures of large merchant banks of the era, founded by the Barzi and Peruzzi families, shocked the Italian city state of Florence in 1346 and uh, 1343 and 1346. These financial crises gave birth to the idea that commercial banking sector would need a liquidity backstop, i.e. an entity that could lend to private financial institutions in trouble. This was the original aim of central banks, to act as piggy banks for solvent commercial banks with temporary liquidity problems. 
The first central bank that resembled the modern ones emerged in 1609 when the Dutch Empire created an exchange uh, bank, uh, the Weasel Bank, to convert foreign coins into domestic currency. The central bank of Sweden, the Riskbant Banken, I think it's called Riskbanken, was created in 1668 and the Bank of England was 1694. So, that shows, uh, I guess you could say, the Age of Enlightenment, um, the second, I guess you could, call, you could call that the second generation or the second iteration of central banking, May, mainly due to the fact that there was a uh, uh, expansion into the new world, uh, world empires were being built and destroyed, so the Spanish and the Dutch and the English were all parties to the situation. I think most people understand the, the the East Indies and the West Indies and stuff like that. So anyway, so the big twist came in the with the U.S. Federal Reserve that was established in 1914 under an amendment to calm the fears. The power of the Fed to issue legal tender currency was restricted by both the real bills doctrine and the gold standard. The real bills doctrine stated that the Fed could only extend credit and thus increase the supply of money against collateral that had already established value through a commercial transaction. So, for instance, say for example, if you think about land, if there was a commercial transaction out there, then um, if you're looking at it from the standpoint of what's out there in terms of wealth and value, you know, say for the United States, that would probably be the usage of uh, the the real bills doctrine. In other words, you know, for there to be money available, there has to be assets underlying it in some way, shape, or form. A commercial transaction, which is generally tied to land, property, buildings, something tangible, uh, a tangible product. It can't just be out of the sky, which is a whole other matter. Uh, <clears throat> this meant that the value of the collateral could not, uh, could not be in the future effective banning the monetization of federal debt. So the real bills doctrine slowly faded away in the 1920s. The Banking Act of 1935 ended the autonomy of the reserve banks and the board received the authority over open market operations. The convertibility of the U.S. dollar to gold was totally abandoned in March 1973. Yeah, Nixon, August, uh, August 15th of 1971, Nixon, Nixon took us completely off the gold standard in uh, or the the convertibility, and uh, we have the French to thank for that. Uh, I think uh, Charles de Gaulle was still kicking then, but it was uh, tied to the French, and they wanted to convert it. I think it was $35. The initial was the 30 uh, gold per ounce was 35 at that time, I think. If I'm not mistaken, but it's been a while. Anyway, so at the bottom here, I, I'm going to skip through this. This is talking about the ECB and some of the other stuff. So uh, it says, so the idea of the central bankers started from a liquidity backstopper of the financial system 700 years ago, but they have mutated into powerful actors on the economic and political stage. The ability to conjure nearly limitless amounts of money seems to eventually tempt central banks to adopt policy and or political targets that are either impossible or unwise to pursue. This has happened several times in history, and now we are there again. Oh, yeah. Also, this time, the cost of politicization of the central banks are likely to be dire. Economies and governments are dependent on central banking, central bank funding as they may never be before. Uh, <clears throat> central banks have commercial risk on their balance sheets in amounts never seen before. At the same time, the value of money and financial assets critically depend on the continued support of, of the public trust in central banks. This unusual dependence on central banks is the result of central bankers losing sight of their primary role in becoming politicized. When the financial system finally uh, finally crumbles, we need to rethink the role of central banks. (laughs) At the very minimum, their role should be severely, uh, severely incredibly limited, but how it could be done as it has been tried and failed several times. Thus, we need also to be able to think the unthinkable that is a world without central banks. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's the answer. Unfortunately, we're going to have to go through a cataclysmic event, which uh, the reason why I started here is, I and I didn't retweet this, and I don't know why I didn't. Um, there was a guy who put together this tweet about uh, the long-term 
uh, liabilities of the United States of America, which is, of course, tied to Social Security and the whole host of uh, outstanding long-term liabilities. Um, I, I, the numbers are just astronomical, and I don't remember them, and I'm not going to pretend to. But, yeah, the, the essence was to say we're like a zombie nation, much like Japan. He didn't go into Japan, which Japan has probably got us by, is already there and has been for the last 30 years. But Japan's been buttressed by, um, you know, even our markets uh, in regards to that. What has happened, though, in the last 20 years due to absolute failures of policy from wars and, and uh, stealing that's been done by our political class, who, of course, have been using the central bank as a football and using the central bank to hustle up money and then, uh, you know, feed it to themselves. Uh, through the banking lobbies and then through the <clears throat> through the wars that they generate that have to be financed, which of course is financed off the back of our, our, our working population, but the same working population that they've been taking jobs away from and sending overseas has caused this cataclysmic event. Meanwhile, China's got the same problem. Uh, their, their housing industry and their industries are falling apart and they're creating lockdowns. Uh, there was news that, news whether it's true or not, I don't know, but uh, tied to Xi Jinping, and supposedly he's had some kind of health issue, which may or may not have been triggered by him, by his own health, but it may be triggered by uh, uh, some other things that are probably uh, in the, the scenario, and we don't even want to. Uh, so yeah, it comes up on Google, Xi Jinping's brain, the Chinese social media buzz with rumors of Xi Jinping stepping down for COVID. So yeah, there's a two days ago, one day ago. So the economic times. So uh, anyway, then we'll see if the, this uh, story, I didn't link to it. I just pulled it up because it uh, caught, I had gone you know, uh, buzz with rumors. You know, so this is tied to the, you know. Uh, might step down from position following mismanagement of stringent COVID-19 lockdowns accompanied by the economic slump in the country, which, of course, can't be allowed because in order for to keep social harmony, they have to contribute enough jobs for their uh, population. The problem is, is they've been locking down everybody. And, of course, they've uh, there's been stories coming about uh, China. You have You have people that are very wound up there. Remember, this is a very different... Um, I mean, they talk about the West and how we're so, you know, hard to handle and manage. Actually, the West is deals with stress in a very pretty, pretty decent manner. That's luckily because we have bread and circuses. But um, <laughs> when I say that, I mean like sports and outlets. We have activities. We have things outside of our uh, China. I'm sure they have their their ways of outlets, but. When you lock down entire cities and you create this chaos, well, they have they've been uh, reports that there's people jumping out of windows and stuff like that. Um, it's too much. They can't deal with. They don't deal with that kind of stress. Plus, because of the way the whole um, social credit system works and food and every, I mean, just absolute chaos. And of course, if the, and this is of course caused by people who have no care whatsoever at the very top of this print pyramid uh there's no uh there's no accountability so this is out of the indian times so india of course has has uh has its angle on on people like xi jinping which i don't blame blame them for but getting back to the central banks there's just this there's a this huge uh debt bubble out there huge enormous it's 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 just beyond human imagination I mean, I've heard the number for all the national debts at somewhere around $250 trillion or more. And if you take the bets on that, what I call credit default swaps, which were the same thing that happened under the 2008 situation, you could be talking about $1 quadrillion of chaos. And counterparty interest, there's already been failures. Uh, there's a There was one, the losses in the tens of billions for just singular entities that aren't even in the top 10 or top 20 banks or institutions out there. When you have uh, institutions that are sm much smaller that are losing 
10 billion dollars or, or investment companies losing 10 and 20 billion dollars uh, the amount of money that's floating and sloshing around out there it's like a tidal wave it's going to be like a tsunami when it hits or when it b- blows up um, and not only that you have all this money seeking goods that aren't being produced or goods that are being uh, hamstrung by uh, malevolent actors called politicians who have created this mass chaos for their great reset that they're thinking they're going to pull off because they're trying to create massive social chaos so that they can have totalitarian control over everybody. It, it, it is going to end in mass chaos, but it isn't going to end with them winning. I, I, I have... I, I, I am hoping and I'm praying that the the human spirit will will be able to overcome these forces. We know there's going to be idiots, and there are idiots that we're going to have. Many of us are going to have to either convince or we're going to have to um, deal with, and and that's that's before we even get to the military operations and the idiotic idiocy and the fact that any military um, person now would listen to these politicians who are psychopathic, listen to these people who would uh, would seek to destroy this en- entire world solely that they can rule over the ashes and then they'll say, well, well, now we can build back better. See, the whole build back better bullshit was all about destroying Western civilization and by turn, really, Eastern civilization and philosophy. I don't know. They think that they they think that they have enough robots, or they think they have enough technology. The problem is, is they're going to destroy their own technology. They're not going to be able to produce power. They may think they can. At some point, people. I mean, they can't. They, they, I, I I just don't see how they think that they're going to do this unless they have something up their sleeve that I haven't been thinking about but people are going to be in such mass chaos due to the food problems due to the social unrest and due to the people that we're going to have to come to grips with and figure out how to deal with and I don't know how that's going to go it's just uh, it just it boggles my mind and then meanwhile you have people like this this evil evil Ukrainian idiot Zelensky, who's got these, got another bunch of group of uh, Nimrods from the United States. Think about this, and I, I, I said this earlier. It's quite uh, on online. I said it's quite interesting. It's quite telling that the people that are supposed to be running the United States of America are going over to Ukraine for fucking oppressors uh, and visits to sit there and take pictures with this Nimrod who thinks he's running something, and, uh, you know, he's a World Economic Forum puppet and the whole nine yards, and they're over there, and he, he says uh, he, he has the U.S. to designate Russia a terrorist state. Well, you know, he he's going to, he is going to, he is going to be a casualty of his stupidity, but here's a, here's just, I'll read the, this is all you need to know. Senate Ma- Minority Leader Mitch McConnell led a congressional delegation to visit Ukraine capital on Saturday. The unannounced trip included Republican Senators John Cornyn, Susan Collins, Susan Collins, and John Barrasso's of Wyoming. So um, these people, they show up there uh, along at, just as is after a week or so after <coughs> Nancy Pelosi went over there and gave them a little award or whatever. So you got Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell. It's the same group of absolute assholes that, that you know, they sign off on all this stuff. They want their war. And, and then McConnell's statement says, It is squarely in our national interest to help Ukraine achieve victory in this war and to help Ukraine and other countries deter the uh, other wars of aggression before they start. You started this war, you moron. Or rather, our State Department did. There's people out there that still believe that uh, this was just solely uh, by accident. Well, you threatened the Russian. You you threatened Russia back in uh, late fall, and you did so for a reason and a purpose. And you keep on. You kept on pushing, pushing forward all these NATO countries, which of course 
sure enough, you have uh, both Finland and Sweden have declared that they want to be members of NATO. So every f- paranoid fear that the Russians are feeling, you're suddenly doing. They're, this is not going to end well. This is going to end with absolute destruction. And the United States is not going to win this. We are the baddies, unfortunately. I'm not blaming, I'm not saying that Vladimir Putin's anything to be, uh, you know, lauded or praised. Though I will say this: if if what the words that are coming out of his mouth have any, um, would you say, um, uh, cachet or credit or whatever, he recently. Let me see if I found. It. I found he. Someone translated his uh, words and what he was saying, and I I I, I got an imagery image that I can have to read it from. So I'm going to read this because I think it's interesting, but I don't I I didn't retweet it because I knew uh, what kind of chaos you know. So Putin supposedly this is what came out of his mouth in a con- old press conference. He said, "I want ordinary citizens of Western states to hear me too." They are now trying to convince you that all our difficulties are the result of some hostile actions of Russia. That from your wallet you need to pay for the fight against the mythical Russian threat. It's all a lie. And the truth is that the problems faced by millions of people in the West are the results of years of actions by the ruling elites elites in the West. Their mistakes, myopia, and ambitions. Um... These elites are not thinking about how to improve the lives of their citizens. They're obsessed with their selfish interest in super profits. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> I, I think that's very much on the point. Now, you know, everybody will say, oh, he shouldn't have invaded Donbass, and he shouldn't have done this and done that. Those places were Russian and have been Russian before, and they are going to be Russian one way or another. As far as Sweden and, and F- Finland... If they think that they're going to somehow be, uh, uh, they're trying to create this once again. It's just like they're just trying to create this multi multipolar world, and none of these countries are even remotely capable of doing the things that they think they are going to do. So anyway, so let's see here. <clears throat> Let me read the one about Sweden here. On the day, on the same day, a mere a mere hours later, as fully expected based upon prior statements, Sweden's ruling party, a party formally affirmed Stockholm's simultaneous application to NATO. Sweden's ruling Social Democratic Party on Sunday said it was favor favor joining NATO, reversing its decade long decades long opposition, and paving the way for the country to submit a membership application. Like. Like with Finland, prior to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, public support for joining the Western military alliance was low, with the country content to stay neutral on the issue and with amicable relationship uh, relations with Moscow. So this is, and meanwhile, you have Turkey doing the same thing. They're laying out demands. So you got all these major powers, all their politicians, and most of them are all either evil, tied to the World Economic Forum. They're all making these maneuvers. And people have said, well, you know, Vladimir Putin is connected to the World Economic Forum. Oh, I I don't doubt that, but that doesn't necessarily mean he may be the one bad actor out there that actually gives a shit about his own country more than he cares about some new world order. But then um, they did develop their own vaccines. So did China. Uh, when I say develop their own vaccines, they developed their own uh, non-mRNA vaccines, and they have laid claim justifiably at least in Russia's uh, concern that uh, the Ukraine was a hotbed of biolabs and engineering and that they were worried about bioweapons which uh, given given the state of affairs and given the de- declarations by our own people which I mean by our own people Victoria Newland said right in, right in the house uh, she said yes we have labs there and they were old Russian labs, and the Russians knew they were there. And they probably know everything about them. They designed the labs for F's sake. Only thing that's probably happened is the U.S. went in there and made some upgrades or added some, added their scenario and threw their scientists in there and whatever. So anyway, there's just this whole, and then you got this NATO General Secretary Jens Stoltenberg uh, weeks ago said that Finland and, and Sweden could would be welcomed in, with open arms, suggesting also that given the circumstances of war in Eastern Europe, they could be fast-tracked for in, entry. So uh, 
this alignment. And I know many people say, well, how dare you be, you know, anti-Europe. Europe is a, a shithole of socialism and communism. And and <laughs> irony of irony, these people are all ironclad in their their uh, their uh, situation or their uh, um, <laughs> destroying their own economies. And they're they're doing they they they've been wanting to do this before they even even the United States got involved in this stuff, um, but they're economically bankrupt. Uh, their central bank's even worse off than our uh, than the U.S.'s central bank, and that's saying something. So, yeah, there's just a ton of information to go through. Um, matter of fact. Let me take a little break here. I'm gonna play. Uh, we'll play. We'll play some police. You guys, uh, you'll probably like this. Wow, it's the same. It's the same. It's my favorite song by by the group. So here it goes.
Good enough. Sending out an SOS. So, I'm gonna go through uh, various these. Uh, these are various clips that I uh, collected. They're only about five minutes. Too. Well, I'm, they'll be five minutes because I'm not gonna play them all. Uh, so first, we're gonna start off with our, uh, our uh, World Economic Forum sociopath in chief of uh, Canada, Trudeau, and it's only thirty seconds. But this guy just. He says the uh, says all the quiet part out loud, and, and he thinks it's he thinks it's funny. You sometimes hear about liberal bias in the media these days. How they're constantly letting off our government, letting our government off the hook for no good reason. Frankly, I think that's insulting. It's clear that they let us off the hook for a very good reason, because we paid them six hundred million dollars. You don't get stellar headlines like these. Without greasing the wheels a bit. He seems to think that's funny. Of course, you know, to him it is. And the fact that, you know, I don't know. I don't know if the audience there was uh, cheering or in shock or or they just don't care anymore. Because it certainly seems like there are there's certain opinions out there. Uh, but And we'll get into that later with the final piece I'm going to read a little, quite a bit from. But uh, So next up is our... More evil, another World Economic Forum idiot. Um, so let me close out my mic and then play it so it doesn't echo. So you you had had your, what your two you had had two you'd had two uh, vaccinations and then two booster shots. Is that right? That's right. And you know, for people over you know fifty or sixty, uh, they'll probably have to be boosted every six months until we get even better vaccines. That's all I can listen to him. There it goes on for another 50 seconds. So, yeah, boost, 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 you know, better vaccines. You hear that? Do, do, do people watch these, like CNN with Anderson Cooper, do they actually think about this in any way, shape, or form? I Undoubtedly they don't because uh, they've been scared to death. <clears throat> and, of course, they're trying to push this hustle again. And uh, that's that's why the in the final article I'm going to read will go into that. So next uh, we're going to play uh, Dr. Robert Malone, who uh, also has some. I'm going to let him talk for himself. Declare, Declare and the data confirm that the COVID-19 experimental genetic therapy injections must end. We believe and we've observed that these products do not prevent infection, replication, and transmission of Omicron. The vast majority of COVID infections are in those who've been vaccinated. The data now show that vaccination increases the risk of infection by Omicron. What has not been performed by the pharmaceutical industry is the required full battery of safety, toxicology, pharmacokinetic testing. Where does the RNA go and how long does it last in your body? The same is true with the adenoviral vectors. The distribution of the mRNA or the adenoviral vectors and the resulting spike protein toxicology has not been well characterized, and we do not understand even now what is happening in patients that have received these quasi-vaccines. We strongly recommend that these products now and in the future be regulated as the gene therapy products that they are and require public involvement of the FDA's gene therapy scientists and committees in reviewing and approving these drugs. We believe that it's necessary to reestablish the five-year minimum FDA testing period and to cease the emergency use authorization and require full FDA licensure of all novel medical products used for COVID-19. We also strongly recommend that there be investigations of the actual causes of death and damage to millions who have been subjected to these mandatory mRNA and adenoviral vector gene therapy injections. And we also strongly recommend that the FDA acknowledge and investigate that the pseudouridine-containing synthetic mRNA-like genetic material persists in the body for 60 days or longer and produces spike protein at levels higher than is observed with the actual SARS-CoV-2 infection. Yep, so 
basically, and that was a medical, um, <laughs> that was a medical recommendation. Um, and so he was staying coloring, quote, in, 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 uh, inside the lines there. He wasn't overstating what he wanted or what they, what this uh, group have uh, come to conclusions on. But, you know, there'll be people who say, oh, how could he want us to wait this long? We'll never be able to solve COVID-19. We were never, there was never the necessity for any vaccination whatsoever. Everything could have been treated, certainly could have been avoided. Uh, as a matter of fact, everything that's been done to, quote, handle the situation was asked backwards and wrong and has caused the situation. But that was what it was meant to do. It's it's blatantly obvious that these people had uh, uh, set about a goal and an agenda to themselves to uh, do this to people. Um that uh, they had planned it this way. They had planned the lockdown. They even they were suggesting lockdowns, controlling the media, uh, silencing uh, um, dissenting voices, uh, using vaccines instead of actual on the market, low cost immune uh, immune immunity building uh, ideas. Instead, there's many people that have been sold rather erroneously on the idea that vaccination is like this uh, this magic bullet for a coronavirus which adapts around it very quickly and should have never been uh, even addressed this way. But that was the whole point. Now, anybody who... There'll be plenty of people, and there's plenty of medical people that would argue with me and counter-argument, and they would probably have a better, more broader acknowledgement of the field and the scope of their field. Of course, they also could be full of shit. Uh, <laughs> I'm going with logic and common sense because we've never addressed these things like this before. Ergo, I know that there was something up with this. And plus, when we look at the monetary and the social cost, which is a whole other different uh, scenario, there was a, a video I could probably play, and I haven't. Uh, this is tied to Jesse Kelly was talking about how we found out the CDC was making policy based upon um, CDC was making policy based upon teachers unions talking to them about how they were going to handle students, which probably, I might definitively, but certainly there was an escalation of teen suicide in the United States and probably worldwide in, in a host of things. And they knew this. And the CDC made their policy based upon what advocates in the uh, teachers union, who are not doctors, who are not professionals in that field, who were solely politically doing this for politicization, which is uh, just like the banks and just like a whole host of things, politics has superseded uh, common sense, reality, uh, negotiation, or uh, let's just say uh, uh, coming to conclusions based upon actually having discussions and collaborating. Because if you really had a crisis, and when I say really had a crisis... If you had a crisis of uh, health things, you're supposed to cooperate with people. You're supposed to, to give them the most amount of freedom while still being protective of the people that would probably be most likely to get ill. Instead, they didn't do that. They locked down healthy people with sick people. They created a bigger problem because they wanted a bigger problem for political reasons. And we already know that that was used as a political tool. And because it was used as a political tool, ergo, everything everything policy-wise that was generated out of it is null and void as far as I'm concerned. I do not trust these people, and they know that. And they know that they're caught, and yet they continue on with it. So I'm going to play this last little bit, and then this is, goes to politicization again. Only this time it's from the standpoint of uh, media and uh, an FBI whistleblower. So... This is a short clip. Uh, this is from Project Veritas, uh, a whistleblower. A sub, uh, I don't know who the person is, but uh, that's why they're a whistleblower. So you've been a special agent for a number of years. Correct. Special agent with the FBI. That's correct. And you're still being paid for that role. Yes. There's a number of very troubling things that are happening within the FBI. What brought you to Project Veritas? Project Veritas appears to be a victim of political undertakings, which is where this, this agency has gone. You came across some information. The file that you're talking about is background on the, 
the Project Veritas investigation the, the, that resulted in the search warrant at your premises. We don't see a lot of investigations into news organizations. It's not common to see a criminal investigation, particularly one categorized the way that this is, is alerting and it's surprising based on the public information that is provided. So SIM is a classification that means it's a sensitive investigative matter. Because it's sensitive, it could be a political figure, it could be uh, a news media organization. Who makes the classification that we're news media? It would usually be identified as by the case agents who are working it, and it's also done in conjunction with the chief division counsel of that field office, who's going to be the top internal lawyer. That title would normally be the name of the subject, the name of the victim, the name of the type of crime that is being alleged, if you know, if these things exist. In this case, it's restricted because uh, even the name of the subject would indicate the nature of what was going on. CAST is an internal program in the FBI that uses sophisticated techniques to exploit cell phone data for location and for content. Going down to sentinel tags. This was chosen by the people who opened up this case. They had to specifically list the threat tags that they wanted to identify. The intelligence investigation is meant for information. That doesn't require that you've done anything wrong. The dialogue, that's the governing dynamic for the FBI. One paragraph justification for spying on anyone? It's one of the few parts of the entire public document that you see that will be redacted. It's truly an incredible amount of power if used wrong. What do you hope comes from your endeavor to be here and, and say all this? I would hope that we could end up with a nonpartisan law enforcement agency in this country that's not doing things that seem to be inappropriate. Just you doing the job that you're told following those orders is to maintain your paycheck and your pension that gives you the Holocaust. So then you end up with somebody who's willing to do something that maybe compromises their ethics. There you go. And that leads into this uh, article that I, um, that'll be the second to last thing. I, I, I just ran across something. It's from uh, France, uh, I guess, uh, Soiree, Soiree, S-O-I-R, so I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm not French, so I'm not going to pretend to know how to. It's written by Felipe uh, Raffaella. And he, um, I assume it's a he, <laughs> and uh, I should. So anyway, the column is, The greatest mystery of World War II has been solved. The enigma lasted more than eight decades. The most important event in recent human history, which shaped the world as it, as it is today, was the Second World War. It is a topic covered to this day in a huge number of books, documentaries, plays, and movies. Each writer, director, and screenwriter tells a piece of the story, each one with their own viewpoint and approach. He, and he goes on and talks about his uh, movie that he has done. But I'll skip down here. <clears throat> so... Uh, let's see. Um, with so many books and movies, it was possible to understand that people at all levels and all, all countries involved thought and acted for uh, from important leaders such as Winston Churchill, one of the main ones in the conflict, to feeling the anguish of a Soviet child running running away from death, as portrayed in the tense uh, tense film *Come and See*, an and an essential masterpiece by. Elhelm Klimov. Uh, uh, However, even after studying and watching everything possible for me, one single character always remained a great mystery. It is the good German. This person was the normal citizen of German, Germany, not radical, but who did not react when the Holocaust occurred. He was a part of a society that accepted the elimination of six million Jews with a, ter with a terrifying normality. It wasn't five or ten thousand people. It was six million. From within Germany, the Jewish population was relevant. It was 566,000 citizens. Therefore, practically every German had contact with some Jewish family. There were, they were a society that lived in reasonable harmony. Ordinary Germans went to Jewish businesses. Germans had Jewish employees. The children attended the same schools, they all went to the same clubs, the same restaurants, and played sports together. Friendships were common and natural. Less than 10 years later, how do you, an ordinary citizen, accept that a family of your neighbors is removed on trains to concentration camps? How do you accept that your Jewish friend's neighborhood business is closed, with the owners removed from society without any protest? And see, and then I'll, I'll skip down a little bit because we can, you know, this is a very long article. Uh, 
Now, by studying the history of previous pandemics, I have discovered some clues to trying to solve the mystery. It became a little clearer when I read a scientific paper that analyzes the typhus pandemic within the Warsaw Ghetto. I had never read anything about the conflict from this point of view. Published in 2020, already during the COVID pandemic, the study sets out to explain how this disease, <clears throat> which killed 10 to 40 percent of those infected, was controlled in the ghetto. The neighborhood, surrounded by walls, housed 400,000 people in small, densely populated space in 1940. This article, Extraordinary, Extraordinary Curtailment of Massive Typho, a Typhus Epidemic in Warsaw Ghetto, published in the journal, uh, journal Science Advances, was done by Australian researchers from RMIT University, Melbourne. So, um, so there's pictures. He, he went through this whole thing. So, due to the losses of soldiers to typhus in World War I, Germany in 1930s and 40s had great concern for public health. They cultivated an obsession with infectious diseases. There was a, a fanatical fear of typhus spreading to the German people and its army, the Australian scientists explained. So, and in this way, I get, you, can, you can gather what I'm talking about from that point on. But, <clears throat> so... Let me go on through this. That uh, okay. That is, this approach it tells us that when there is censorship, propaganda, and public health authorities take action based on scientific consensus, the population, in fear of a disease, even approves of a holocaust. But when I first read this article in 2020, when it was published, the mystery about the good German remained. After all, it started from a wrong assumption that the traditionally well-educated German people were stupid enough to believe the gross lie that Jews were guilty of uh, the typhus pandemic. So it became one more hypothesis among several. I concluded it was a mystery without solution, and that only by living in that society at that time something impossible to happen, I would have been able to understand how passively they accepted everything. The consensus of each era. That's it, the consensus of each era. Vaccines against COVID-19 to date do not reduce transmission. They do not sterilize the virus. There is already defined, uh, there is already defined by science in several studies. It does not reduce waves in country. It does not reduce contamination inside the home. Maybe it's even making contamination worse. And maybe it increases the possibility of catching the new variant, the Omicron. Recently, for example, Israel, one of the most vaccinated countries, the only, only one on the planet with the fourth dose, broke the world record of cases per million and saw the number of deaths go way up. In other words, science has already defined that these vaccines are not a, uh, not a societal pact. You take it for yourself, thinking about your disease in case you get infected, and not to help society fight the pandemic. Vaccines do not stop, stop infection and they do not stop transmission. However, on television, the message is different. The vaccine protects both you and the people around you, says epidemiologist Pedro Halel on TV Globo, uh, Brazil's largest network, in a recent report. He was just repeating a pseudoscientific consensus created by authorities and massively repeated like Goebbels' propaganda. By saying that the vaccine protect, it protect people around you, a statement as untrue as the claims that Jews were spreading of typhus, you point out that who is to blame for the COVID-19, those who decided not to get the vaccine. Exactly. Because people will take that upon themselves to think that. And then it goes through the various uh, information. It goes through the recent studies on the Pfizer. <clears throat> so, And then it goes down in particular the, the British Medical Journal, which came out with uh, the fact that there was fraud in the study uh, in terms of population and how they uh, um, manipulate numbers. And then, of course, the 55-year ask, and then that's been uh, overturned, and they're releasing this stuff. So, and then, of course, he goes into the fact that there's uh, conflicts of interest with the FDA. And then, and then it goes down to uh, the bigger problem, which is uh, why, the why on how you got the good German. So... With the pseudo-scientific consensus that vaccines protect people around you massively disseminated by reading a news story, I finally understood the good German. I needed something that experienced the mood of that time to understand it. 
So here's a, here's a, this was a three-year-old reportedly denied heart treatment because parents were unvaccinated. He is a boy from Cyprus. He tried to go to Germany to have surgery. At the last minute, the Frankfurt Hospital told authorities in Cyprus that the surgery wasn't going to happen. The hospital reportedly cited that the parents' lack of a COVID-19 vaccine was the reason. The, the uh, Cypriot authorities reportedly suggested a different guardian journey, journey with the boy to Germany, but were unsuccessful in persuading the hospital. With Germany's refusal, they tried the United Kingdom, the country that was a base of the fight against fascism. It was also denied. Later, they tried Israel, the country made up of those people who suffered the Holocaust, but they also refused. The child was not infected. The parents were not infected. And even the vaccines that don't reduce transmission, they decided that the parents are to blame for the pandemic and said sent a message that their child deserves to die because of it. What is the difference between the health professionals in those hospitals and the doctors who applauded Dr. Joost Walbaum? What is the difference between, that's a guy from uh, the German uh, part of the story up, up above. What is the difference between them and those who saw the trains full of children going to Auschwitz and didn't care? None. They made me understand the good German, a contempt for the lives of others. Recipients are heavily scrutinized to qualify for hard-to-come-by hearts of any organ, organs for transplant. They have to go, go to the patient most likely to survive, commented an anonymous good German in the news, behaving like the people who are afraid of a starving, starving children in a Warsaw ghetto. There's a picture in this. It's, it's, uh, it's heart-wrenching, but this was going on back then. Ignore the rules, engage in high-risk behavior, and get tossed off the list for transplant. Same rules that have always been in place, commented a North American who appreciates rules being obeyed. The Milgram experiment in real life, in real time. In other words, a U.S. hospital denied a heart transplant to an unvaccinated patient, con condemning him to death. D.J. Ferguson, 31, urgently needs a new heart. And this is key because I know about this place. But Brighton and Women's Hospital in Austin has taken him off the transplant list, said his father David. Um, yeah, Ferguson is not uh, is not a person infected with the virus, but just a person who hasn't taken the vaccine that does not prevent him from being infected or transmitting the virus. I'm in favor without question. Are you going to be, put the guy in a hospital, save a life, being able to contaminate several members of the medical and nursing staff, questioned uh, Thiago, a Facebook user. Radicalism is you, you denying science, commented Kleber from Rio de Janeiro in the post. So he's going through. When these articles get posted. You have these people that are that 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 show you their true colors. That they would uh, would rather see people, you know. They they would rather see people forced to do something instead. <clears throat> so here we go. In other words, the good German was a guy who believed he was following science. I have not found any record of Germans who opposed this fear created against Jews, but I believe that probably when some someone did object, he was accused of being a science denier. Yep. It doesn't matter that today we have 10 billion doses administered and every reasonably well-informed person knows or has heard of someone who, even if vaccinated, contracted COVID. People believe authorities who call themselves spokesmen of science, not the science itself. Since shortly after World War II, there was a series of 12 trials in Nuremberg. It was a, a aimed at convicting captured Nazi war criminals. The first one, the most important, took place between December 9th and August 20th of 1947. It, it was against the lying doctors and scientists. The charges against them were conspiracy to commit war crimes, crimes against humanity, and conducting medical experiments without the consent of the participants, such as those in the concentration camps and occupied zones. Of the 23 defendants, seven were acquitted, seven received death sentences, the remainder received prison sentences ranging from 10 years to life imprisonment. Out of this trial came the most important ethical agreement in history, the Nuremberg Code. It was intended to prevent the Nazi absurdities from ever being repeated. The first item of the code, the most essential of all, defines the voluntary consent of human subject is absolutely essential. 
has been explained in detail so there that so that there is no doubt this means that the person involved should have a legal capacity to give consent should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element or force fraud deceit duress overreaching or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion today covid vaccines are still experimental after all the truth is extremely simple and there's no open question. It is impossible to know the long-term effect. It has been in massive use just for just over a year. The amount of doses, for example, has not yet been defined. The long-term effects of vaccine are uncertain. They may, and hopefully will, do no harm. But only a time traveler can t- claim the vaccines are safe. So, and I can go down to the very end here, I think. Uh, let's see here. And the Australian idea of reviving the Warsaw Ghetto has inspired doctors elsewhere to say the phrase is worthy of Dr. Joost Walbaum. If I had the opportunity and the authority, I would do my best to create concentration camps for the unvaccinated, said the medical doctor of the Villa Sofia Cervello Hospitals in Palermo, a city that, is, that in the past showed appreciation for Mussolini. Moreover, today it is possible to understand how authoritarianism is implanted with the support of a frightened population and a press that refuses to do its job. In a program on television in Brazil, a reporter afraid of the unvaccinated asked about the implication for parents who refuse to vaccinate their children. A public official explained that parents can face fines and even have their children taken by the state. In the aftermath, the reporter questioned whether ordinary people should report the parents to the authorities. Quote, you should report them, replied the law judge, as was done with the Germans who hid Jews in the basement, journalist uh, Paul Schmidt commented. In Canada, the country that, ha- that has already asked its citizens to report people who criticize government health decisions, Judge Kathleen Heinrichs, has banned a father from sharing social media posts related to COVID-19 with his son. And it went further. She prohibited the father from discussing COVID-19 vaccinations with his 11-year-old son or providing the child with other information about the vaccine or the disease, such as the Pfizer study fraud news being published in the BMJ. Fear corrupts the greatest certainties, said said to me by my physician friend, professor of medicine who has treated 750 COVID patients with only one death, just the one person who did not do all the treatment. He asked for anonymity so as not to suffer persecution, offenses, or defamation. History repeats itself, first time as tragedy, the second time as farce, Karl Marx once said, (laughs) of all things to quote Karl Marx, but... um, so there has been a resistance, okay, in 1940, uh, this, I guess, goes to why these, uh, this article actually got published here. In 1941, during the Nazi occupation of France, the underground newspaper Defense de la France, uh, France Soir, was born. It was a newspaper of the French resistance. They denounced fascist occupation, government, human rights violation, and the false science of the Nazis. They were accused of producing disinformation subverting the censorship in a heroic way. In 1944, they distributed up to 450,000 copies daily. Besides news, they produced in their printing plants passports for persecuted Jews. With ups and downs, uh, Francais Soir survives to to this day. My voice is going out. Now, during the pandemic, they have denouncing false science, human rights violations, fascistic rules, and had interviews, had their interviews with Luc Montagnier, who uh, passed recently in, I think, February, a Nobel lawyer, a lawyer, a Nobel laureate in medicine, censored on YouTube. The newspaper has been accused again of publishing disinformation, and they are fighting against totalitarian passports. It is the only newspaper with history that preserves the courage to do all this. We have the same spirit of resistance, told told uh, told me Xavier uh, Alzebert, the newspaper's director of publications. It's the coolest place in the world where they invite me to get up on a stool and curse Nazis. It's a tradition of the newspaper. 
disclaimer, I, I have my ears ready to hear offenses or for writing this article. I'll accept them all as, as long as the person who wishes to offend me first says that he agrees with the child in Cyprus not having his cardiac emergency attended to. So, that's the entire article I decided to read most, or for the most part, the entire article. Uh, so, um, and with that regard, uh, um, there was a, a thing, and this shows the echoes of things to come. So, it turns out our Department of Homeland Security coordinated with the Chinese drone company to create the first totally surveilled city in America. So, uh, this was in Chula Vista, California. So, they decided to uh, work with them. Uh, instead, of, and now just get down to the bottom of it. It says, instead of after yelling at citizens over loudspeakers mounted on drones in March of 2020, exactly one year later, the entire city would be completely surveilled by the drone program marking a first in American history. In March 2021, CVPD again made history as the first in the United States to obtain a Federal Aviation Administration authorization to, to launch from anywhere in the city. CVPD um, formed more great partnership with the Southwestern College and Ayers Hotels in eastern parts of the city and added two additional, two additional launch sites. With the addition of, of two new launch sites, DFR has citywide coverage and can cover much of the geographical area of Chula Vista. So, I, and they said down at the, okay, on top of the disturbing Orwellian nature of this program, there is also a major problem with the data on these drones, such, such a large one, in fact, that the Pentagon won't touch them. In 2017, the Department of Defense flagged the DJI drones over security concerns, stating, DJI science, is, uh, DJI science and Technology is providing U.S. critical infrastructure and law enforcement data to the Chinese government. Yeah, this is happening. We have people that are absolutely obl uh, uh, just, I don't know, they they just oblivious to everything that goes on around them. Uh, they don't seem to comprehend security or national security whatsoever. And uh, go on to the next. People don't realize the depths of the Chinese espionage and the fact that they use use any opportunity. Said Jim Lewis, a researcher at the D.C.-based bipartisan center. What's messed up is that this is CSIS is a is a Hunter Biden connected. So if the if they're aware of the Chinese espionage, then why are they continuing to do it? Yeah, so it, it it's just it just boggles my mind how people can be this dumb, but they are. So I'm going to end it there. My voice is uh, shot after barely half. Hour. I don't know what caused it, but um, it's uh, it happens. So we'll close out with the closing music. <clears throat> I hope I've covered a lot in this uh, podcast. I know I um, may have been rough, but uh, I think there's plenty of. Uh, Information. Let me turn down this a little bit so I can talk over it a little bit. Um, the prelude to war is the fact that uh, between the food, the finances, uh, the social unrest that's being generated, uh, the the media's propagation of their talking points to pit us against each other. That don't operate, whether it be now it's white on versus black, men and women, vaccinated versus unvaccinated, uh, people who own things, middle class, the lower classes, and then of course this manifesto that came out of this uh, recent shooting that was all it looked like it was, I guess it was pre-made by, <laughs> it was quite a, uh, let's just say. Uh, Fortuitous for the globalist narrative to keep them in, uh, so they have something to talk to, so that they can call everybody a disinformationist or a conspiracy theorist. When in reality, we're just pointing out that the people at the very top of our food chain don't are, are psychopaths and they're they're destroying they're literally destroying Western civilization just to get their rocks off. I assume. Um, Amongst other things, and and profit from it. Don't don't get me wrong. There's they they have so many motivations, and they all line in one direction. So, but it's up to us to fight against that, um, and that day will come. 
and we need to be prepared. And whatever you can do to prepare, that's that's what you should try to do daily. So God bless the United States of America. God save the world. And I hope everybody has a, a enjoyable evening.